The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Today's episode of the History of Literature is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com hol Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's www.audibletrial.com hol and since this is the Thanksgiving episode of the History of Literature podcast, let me say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. If you'd like to participate in our sponsorship program, shoot me an email at jackwilsonauthor at gmail.com. That's J-A-C-K-E, wilsonauthor at gmail.com. Hello. It's Thanksgiving, everyone. I know what you're thinking. The world is going to hell. Happy Turkey Day. Well, I'm with you. But we must endure, we must persevere, and we must keep up our skills. Skills like our powers of observation and analysis, and above all, empathy. Literature feels like a luxury in times like these, and yet it feels essential. We've been doing this podcast for about a year, a little more, through thick and thin. So Mike and I, that's Mike Palindrome, president of the Literature Supporters Club, our longtime and frequent guest, and I, Jack Wilson, took stock, checked on the, the feedback that we've gotten from our listeners, comments, and questions, and can I say that it was a little dusty in the room, at least for me? How about I postpone all that until the end? Let's get to the conversation, which starts out dark, then gets less dark, ends with me getting sentimental. It's the holidays. It's a sentimental time. This is when I thank my readers and my listeners, and I frankly just get overwhelmed. I've been such a failure for so many things. I've failed at so many things for so many years that I appreciate each and every person who gives this thing a try and who responds and subscribes and leaves reviews and comments and all those things or just listens. The podcast is successful beyond my wildest hopes. So thank you all for that. Okay, here we go. Mike Palindrome and me and comments from you. Hey, grown-ups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his Fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, Bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. 
Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Okay, I'm joined now by Mike, our old friend, uh, the president of the Literature Supporters Club. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well, Jack. Thanks for thanks again for having me. Okay, so we've been reviewing some of our listener feedback, our comments and questions that have come in through emails or comments on the website uh, or the Facebook page. And I was wondering, now that you've gone through a whole batch of these, if you had any overall impressions? I was, you know, what what I enjoy. Um, about preparing for the podcast where I'm a guest is um, reading or skimming or familiarizing myself with authors that I don't know and or have neglected and mm-hmm. and then stumbling across someone and just just falling in love with him or her and I I got the sense that we had really connected with the listeners and introduced them to to new writers. Mm. Yeah, it was very satisfying because I mean, how many times have we made a recommendation to a, a good friend and they, they just ignore <laughs> right. us? <laughs> right, and and maybe if you if you pepper them a little too often, you <laughs> you kind of get a, a sense from them that they're putting up a wall and saying like, "Thanks, but I didn't read. I haven't read the last three books you recommended. I'm probably not going to read this one either." Yeah, I, I have I have a couple of good friends who are always like, I'll put it on my list, and I used to <laughs> I used to hate that, but now I say it all the time to people. Right, right. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm I've become one of those people. <laughs> okay, so let's jump in. Are there any uh, any in particular you wanted to call out? Uh, I I I really like the ones where people seem to be very either solitary or mm. spending a lot of time by mm-hmm. themselves. Yes. And, you know, I think the act of reading and the act of writing, a lot of art it can be very lonely. And the way they had, you know, stumbled across your podcast and found a way to make reading a social activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I like those too. And, and I've talked about this before, how I, I have insomnia and so... Even though I might be surrounded by loved ones, it's still pretty lonely at two in the morning when you're the only one awake and you can open a book and you can commune with the author, but there's there's nothing really to replace the sound of of someone's voice in your ear at that moment. And I found that to be a great comfort in, in reading uh in listening to other podcasts and so thinking that we you and I are performing that service for other people is is very gratifying. Yeah, I mean, one th- this listener wrote. I mean, he he or she sums up a, a lot of um, what's good about this pod- your podcast. They wrote, "Hello, Jack. I've listened to your podcast for a while now. It's amazing. You've helped me through loneliness and through the long hours at the post office where I work in the summers. 
You've inspired me to keep on reading and to start my own writing. Thank you from a big fan in Sweden. <laughs> yes. And you know, I had listed that as my number one comment oh, as well. Really? That was the one I was going to start with too. I just love it. I love, I love all of the, I mean, I, I, I truly do uh, appreciate and enjoy all of the feedback I get, but the ones from, from far flung places really yeah. uh, just kind of amaze me. And the idea that we're connecting with somebody in a post office in Sweden, where I would imagine in the summer, uh, those can be quite long hours. Maybe they're open as long as the day, you know, <laughs> maybe they're open from sunup to sundown is what I imagine that they're there for 16 hours or something, uh, waiting for customers to walk in and, and purchase a stamp. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, why not listen to the history of literature podcast when you find yourself in a situation like that? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, going back to the theme of isolation and, you know, solitary act of reading, um, you know, related impression I got from these emails are the, the idea of reading literature as an adult, you know, everyone's like, Oh, I, my, my kid loves to read. That's what I hear a lot from parents. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's the, the, the subtext there is like, well, when you're an adult, you don't have to love to read. Right. And so, it, you know, in the emails, the way people are looking for a community of readers to to actually try to find someone who's read the same thing you've read recently, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's 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 so nice that the readers have, um, you know, listened to the recommendations and followed them. And um, I mean, I whenever I find a novel out of nowhere, it really makes me feel my mortality that I, I could have died without having read that book. <laughs> what a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine a special kind of hell for you would be to, to die and you're given a list of all the books that you never got around to reading and you will now never have a chance to read. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a bucket list. I, I mean, I do want to see an Arsenal game at the Emirates Stadium before I die. But <laughs> I do have, I have this weird, I guess, you know, abstract fear that I'm going to miss a book mm. when it comes out. Like when Elena Ferrante came out, I thought, oh my God, I could have, you know, I'm, yeah. I might have, that, that was a book that was recommended by three separate people. Mm-hmm. Each time my my uh, my resistance had worn you know worn down so that I actually did read it. Mm. So. You know, I have kind of a different um, crazy thing that runs through my head when I think about death and reading. Is I'll have a favorite book and I'll think there might not be enough time for me to read that again. Oh yeah, you know, maybe I've read that one for the last time and. I shouldn't shouldn't necessarily think that. I mean, I you know, I'm always planning to live at least five more days. There's plenty of time to read any single book. When I think <laughs> about like you know the the 500 books that I've read and loved, the chances are not all 500 are going to get another read. Kind of makes me sad. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, <laughs> this, by the way, is the Thanksgiving episode of the History of Literature podcast. <laughs> Somehow nope. it's taken kind of a dark turn. Let's put an optimistic <laughs> spin, which is, 
you know, in the in the emails, um, there was one uh, listener who talked about her passion for House of Mirth. Mm, yes, and it it was done in such a uh, just to put a shout out to her. It was done in such a convincing way. I was almost thinking I'd take a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. See, I backtracked on that. This was a a reader who was talking about our list of the greatest books ever and how we had gone through and said, we got to we got to freshen this up. We got to cross some out. We've got to add some new ones. And we had said Edith Wharton, House of Mirth, probably probably going to cross that one off. But then I was talked into Edith Wharton by our guest, uh, Vu Tran, who came on and, and had chosen Edith Wharton. And I remembered this email in particular. It was a woman yeah. who uh, had uh, graduated from the University of Edinburgh with an English major and was kind of reconnecting with literature after after a six-year gap. And loved the episode agreed with all of our choices kind of asked for us to put together a list of all the things that we had that we would do a replacement list and then did take an issue did take issue with crossing out edith wharton house of mirth you know i love the way she just she just threw this in at the end she said wharton moves and inspires me quite possibly more than any other author Mm. yeah yeah I i was feeling bad (laughs) (laughs) oh and then uh this listener also said that she bought uh can't and won't by lydia davis and can't stop reading it yeah that was great you know uh and that actually a lot of these i'm not going to provide the name because i wanted to, to respect people's anonymity and and their feedback but this this woman in particular i asked her if i could use her name and she said yes her name is Storm, and she uh, lives in London. So shout out to Storm. Thank you for the email. I had one that I wanted to mention. I like this one. I guess this is still on the subject of Wharton. This was a response to the episode with Vu Tran, and the the listener wrote, This is my favorite episode so far. There's something that feels so special about gaining access to any individual's deeply personal relationship with literature. Thanks for the work you do. It's always such a pleasure to listen. There were other emails too that talked about how um, you know the podcast did a nice job of finding associations between personal experience and literature, and literature and movies, and traveling and literature. And I, I think you know there there was a real appreciation for being able to introduce literature and you know, connect it to parts of your life that everyone has, has, have ex, has experienced. It, it really does get to the heart of why we read, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to live a thousand lives, but you can read a thousand books. Mm. Very well put. Was that a, was that on a t-shirt you've seen? <laughs> <laughs> it could I, be. Maybe that should be our our history of literature podcast uh, t shirt and mug. Uh, that'll be our that'll be our slogan. I, the the t shirt I want to make for our podcast is the top five hundred books of all time, but <laughs> on a t shirt, like this tiny like four point font, five hundred books. 
Right, right. Not a bad idea. Uh, you know, one of the things, just speaking of how this connects with people, it, one of the things that's been the most difficult for me is uh, in talking about literature, I feel like there's this attitude that a lot of people have, which is when I talk about literature, it's profound, and when you talk about literature, it's pretentious. Right. And, you know, you kind of, almost like you have to earn your way into uh, a position where you can talk about it. And basically I used to really struggle with that early on until finally I just said, "Eh, who cares? Like I just, (laughs) you can't do anything about it. You just have to, you just have to plow forward and, and hope that you, you can say things that resonate with people and don't irritate them too much. And just accept that there are going to be some listeners who, who think, well, uh, I don't want to listen to you talk about this anyway. I'm I'm just going to think my own thoughts, and those people have probably uh, found different podcasts to listen to, or they they're in the mood for a particular podcast sometimes, and sometimes they're not. I mean, I I you know have gone back and forth with liking or disliking or hating the critic uh, James Woods. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, who is probably, you know, he, he, they created a chair for him at Harvard. I mean, he's probably the, the epitome of, uh, you know, a really committed, passionate critic. Yep. But sometimes I'll read a review by him and I'll read a sentence and I, I'll think this sentence is everything that's wrong about literary criticism. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and I'll think like, this sentence has nothing to do with literature. And then I'll read the rest of the review and think like, boy, he really understands this writer. But yeah. that 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 sentence was so pretentious <laughs> um, and just packed with the right. history of rural pastoral novels and then marriage novels and just everything packed into this one neat sentence. And, yeah. And so, I, I, you know, I always think of him as both the good and the bad wrapped up. Yep together and it, it's it's hard to escape that sometimes when you're talking about literature because when you the more passionate you get the more details you generally provide right and the more details you provide the less likely people will remember them and so you're more and more you know t- kind of talking to yourself yeah and you, you get into this rarefied atmosphere of you know, and and it is hard not to just ooze with condescension toward people who haven't yeah. read um, the entire uh, collected works of John Milton and 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 all of his contemporaries. Uh, I'm thinking of Harold Bloom here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who I guess could uh, apparently he could recite uh, Paradise Lost backwards, um, and I just think. You know, a guy who can do that maybe maybe that's not the best person to be uh, <laughs> interpreting literature for me or, or recommending a book to me. That's a pretty different kind of life that you're living. When I talk about literature with friends, I I think I am always looking for um, an excuse for them to end the discussion, which is probably maybe not the best recommendation recommended approach to talking about literature but <laughs> i think it's because i often overdo it where 
I, I'm, I'm so eager to talk about a writer that I end up, you know, pontificating or lecturing or just rambling. And so I always look for this sign from the other, from the friend, like, oh, you want to end this discussion about Bolano? Let just, you know, tap, tap your, tap the tip of your nose and, you know. And why don't you save it for the club? <laughs> Mr. Mr. President, maybe that's how you got the presidency. Is is I was thinking that you had earned everyone's uh, respect and admiration. Uh, maybe they were just cowed by your your formidable, uh, indefatigable presence. Okay, you know, a, a number a number of email um, a number of listeners mentioned Bolano. I was thinking we we should definitely do a. Do an episode on him. Yes, and speaking of which, of uh, of requests, we got a bunch of different requests for people who wanted us to talk about different things. But the one I liked uh, in particular was from a listener who said, um, Hi, Jack, I'm an avid reader and stumbled upon your History of Literature podcast the other day. Since then, I've been devouring episodes like no other. Thank you for doing what you do. Your way of telling stories is engrossing. Keep up the great work. And he said, I'm sure you have topics for future episodes planned out, but I'd love to throw in a few suggestions if you're open to that from your listeners. And I emailed back and said, well, of course, I've, I do have a bunch of episodes planned out, but I've, I would love to have some some suggestions. And I was, <laughs> I was expecting, you know, two or three favorites. Like somebody had said, why don't you do one on Flannery O'Connor and Walker Percy and do them together, which I thought was a, a great idea. And other people have had you know, favorite authors that they've they've tossed out from time to time. But this particular listener gave a follow-up uh, email and said, great, I'm sure there'll be overlap, but here are some. And then the list is, you know, one, Macbeth, two, Dostoevsky, three, Les Miserables, four, Plato's Republic, five, Voltaire slash Candide, six, Oscar Wilde, and it goes on and on. <laughs> it goes on and on. And they're great choices. I, I mean, I, I really would uh, like to do an episode on every one of them. Um, and I think Shakespeare's Julius Caesar is going to come up pretty soon. Um, but there's nothing on here that I, that I wouldn't do. Although I think I've already done, uh, one of them, uh, number 12, uh, the Tao Te Ching. But, uh, I just loved that, that it was, <laughs> it was like great. I mean, 20 of, that's like a half a year's worth of, <laughs> worth of shows. But, uh, I really appreciated the, uh, Email and people love making lists. I think that's something that's a lot of people have chimed in with lists or with uh, theories. You know, like um, here's a point system for readability, and why don't you do a show on readability? And here's a point system you could use. But why don't we jump to some of the questions that we've gotten? Yeah, I like the question. It was an email which said, you know, they they love the diversity of topics on this podcast and that you know going back to not being pretentious just opening it up to you know talking about prince's lyrics and and you know um mm-hmm. classics and contemporary fiction and but they this listener ended it with this question why are the majority of serious readers do you think uh in America and perhaps the world women mm. You want to tackle that? Well, you know, I I was thinking... Oh, wait, let me interrupt and yeah. just say that I saw that question too. I did some research. There really is no dispute about this. 
<laughs> that that most uh i mean every study that you see or every survey every uh industry you know publication ev- everything i've read some scholarly works on this some some academic research papers it's it's about 2 to 1 i mean women wow. they read more books than men they read more fiction than men they read more literary fiction than men so why is that? So my philosophical answer was that women are just more open-minded mm. than men mm-hmm. and that they don't need to know exactly everything that's going to happen before they you know, embark on a project. Oh, interesting. Was, so men, men don't like surprises. Or men don't want to spend the time if it's not something that they're going to, they know exactly what they're going to get out of. So I was thinking, you know, that men um, just watch a a ton more sports, watch more TV than women. Hmm. I don't know if that's just my feeling, but. Although sports is something where the outcome isn't certain, but you're, but I guess the experience of watching a game is, is pretty finite. Yeah, I mean, it's just one team wins, one team loses, one team looks pretty bad, one team looks pretty good. I mean, right, right. It's and really, I mean, I, I, one, the way I look at it is I can read The New Yorker drunk. <laughs> I, can, I can read poetry pretty tipsy, but it's hard to read a novel when you've had like three pints. <laughs> I mean, you can, but, it, you, you know. You, right. And so going back to the other end, I can pretty much watch any sports event and really get, I think, the same thing out of it being plastered. Right. <laughs> so your your uh, gender theory is that men like to do things drunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, and we should say, of course, that uh, when we're talking about men and women here, we recognize that there are going to be exceptions to everything, and that this is this is talking in generalizations. But there will be; it certainly won't apply to every man or every woman. Um, but I, you know, it's interesting. I, I found this uh, research uh, paper that was done in 1998, so it's a little bit old. But I think probably a lot of these statistics are the same, and it was out of Princeton University, and they Mm -hmm. were looking at this question, and they had three different uh, theories that they advanced, and then they looked to see if there were evidence of this, and they looked at a couple of big uh, surveys that had been done by, I think it was uh, industry trade groups or or some, I, I can't remember exactly where the surveys came, but they had two big sets of data that they were looking at. And the three hypotheses, the first one, was are girls socialized more than boys to read? And they actually found a surprise. I was a little surprised by how much support for this that they found, that that actually there were a lot of fathers in in certain communities that were discouraging boys from reading. They wanted them to, you know, put the book down and get out of the house, or they didn't like them reading fiction. Uh, So it does seem to be a lot of this comes from Wow. Uh, childhood experiences, and then they found that it, that it also carried through. That the the more you were discouraged from reading as a child, the the less likely you were to read as a grown up. Um, yeah, so I was a little bit surprised. It wasn't uh, you know completely dispositive, but it, it they they've 
could detect that as a as an influence. And then they also examined the hypothesis of they called it the separate spheres hypothesis, mm-hmm. which was women were given less access to to work or activities outside the home, so they had a you know they would have more of a uh, a need to explore things in fiction because right. they were maybe not on business trips as often or at the office or at the bar or doing things like that. They found some support for that, um, but but not as much as uh, the socialization. Then mm-hmm. there was also uh, a hypothesis that they explored, which was that women and girls in particular were just better at reading, that they were more cognitively advanced and it happened earlier and they could maybe their minds could absorb fiction and the complexity of it better than men. They didn't find a lot of evidence for this, but along the way they did find that this was interesting. The more a man is educated, the more likely he is to choose something other than literary fiction to read. Wow. So he'd read newspapers and magazines and, the higher up you get on the scale, mm-hmm. uh, the less likely you are to pick up a, a work of fiction for men. I mean, the socialization point is is interesting because I do feel going back to you know reading as an adult, reading literature as an adult. I feel like you know the the least judgmental uh, literary person still is passing judgment on people who haven't read certain books by certain target ages mm-hmm. and it's it's almost like if you fall behind if you haven't read Hemingway you know by your 20s mm. you know in some hypothetical bar cocktail party you're talking about how much you love hills like white elephants that you read it for the first time and you're 50 years old I think it's <laughs> you know there are going to be literary people a lot of literary people who think like oh <laughs> really like join the club like this is a little late. Yeah. Know? I don't know if I would think that. I think I would be a little bit more uh, you know, I'd probably buy the guy a drink and say uh, what did you think? You know, I'd be interested in hearing what what led a person at that age to a book like that and or a story like that and what they yeah. thought of it. No, I well, I think your response is is the one that encourages more reading. Right. Um, you know, but it it, it, <laughs> it, it is this you know, there is a higher, you know, in literature, there are hierarchies. And to say at a cocktail party, you, you just read, you know, um, Salinger, you, you get a very, you, you get less points than is if, if you say you, you've read yeah. Proust. Right, right. I used to, I remember when people used to come over and they would look at the books on my shelf and they'd be like, oh, I'm really impressed with, they named something that I had on the shelf and I hadn't read. <laughs> be like a book that my wife had for a graduate course or something i didn't, never really knew what to say um there was a third hypothesis that this this study advanced which was that women just had more time yeah that that was my my wife's take that yeah you know that generally there women are more than likely to be the stay-at-home parent and Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they found uh, modest support for that, but but uh, and that was in 1998. They, they didn't find real strong support for that. And 
I ended up kind of thinking through some of my own ideas for this, and I think the one that I landed on was close to the one that you've talked about. I just wondered if it was a case of narcissism and that men would read uh, – the reason why they read more nonfiction than fiction is they think of themselves as the most important being in the world, so they read nonfiction to improve themselves. Mm-hmm. Like I see a lot of men reading things like – you know, the 10 tips to be a successful manager or, you know, it's all like financial advice or management advice. And it's almost like they're looking for books that they can take to go into their next meeting and, and help them take charge of the meeting or, or a golf book so they can improve their golf game. And, and maybe women are less narcissistic and they read to experience Mm -hmm. empathy and, and read about the emotions and the experiences of others. And, have a maybe they have a stronger sense of the importance of understanding other people. Maybe they're just cooler and they want they don't want the same crap. <laughs> <laughs> that I love the email. I love the email from one of the listeners who said, "I've just stumbled upon poetry." Yeah, right. And it's funny cuz I also own that book, uh something on a wing. Sleeping on the Wing, an anthology of modern poetry. Mm, mm-hmm. So, it, it's a clever l- little book. It's uh, you can slip it into your, you know, your a winter coat. It has poems, and then it has a little bit of an introduction and a little discussion, but not enough that you know you, to rise the level of criticism or anything like that. But it has so many different poets, mm, and mm-hmm. this listener, I think he was where he or she had graduated and just had started reading poetry. They've been given this gift and yep. this book, and you know, it, it was such a delight to read this. Yeah, and, and Yeats and Whitman and Gary Schneider like hit home right away. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's an interesting, uh, you know, it is interesting. I mean, I love these, um, I love hearing the stories of how people either came across the podcast or what led them to reading and to hear people whose kind of literary biography, I guess you might say, is involved some kind of passionate reading early and then there was a time where the person didn't read as much. And and there was one, one email that was very moving that said uh, the subject line was a massive thank you and it said, thanks, Jack. I've just started your History of Literature podcast. I'm 52, a retired nurse, so hopefully reasonably intelligent, and until depression hit a year ago, loved reading. Thanks to the podcast, I now have a love of reading again. I have a tool to beat depression, and I finally understand what great literature is. Which is really, I mean, I choked up when I first read it, and it, it really is... Um, it was a beautiful email to receive and and a brave one to write and I'm hoping that that listener is still on board and still enjoying the podcast and still reading. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I I commend the people who who who've written these emails and made recommendations back to us. I yeah. I, I enjoyed that. You know, I mean, I think so much of literary conversation should be going beyond um, what you would normally say. 
mm-hmm. just try trying things out. I think a lot of critics do that. They, I remember I read something by Martin Amos saying, "You don't actually think I believe in all of the stuff I write, do you?" And he was talking <laughs> about his essays. You know, that he he was saying the old Montaigne thing that an essay is to try something out. Right, right. I wanted to wrap things up here, but I don't want to let Thanksgiving go by without hearing what uh, what you're thankful for this year in the area of books and literature. Do you have anything for us? Well, I was, I, you know, to, to going back to feeling like you could have missed out on something. Um, some of the new writers I read for the first time, mm-hmm. um, and I was blown away this this year was. Ernest Hemingway's Second Wife, Martha Gellhorn's yes. nonfiction war essays. Right. You mentioned that before. I, I've i read, I think they had an essay or an excerpt of that in the New Yorker that I I ran across, but that is one I would like to read too. Yeah, I've the heard fa- that they're great. The Face of War. It went out of print. It's back in print now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was fantastic. And uh, I... I've read Hopscotch by Julio Cortazar, but I never read a short stories. And mm. um, that I read back to back with um, Moravia's Roman Tales. That was really fun. Mm. Yeah, Moravia's been a yeah. you've been a fan of his for a long time, right? Yeah, and uh, and I, I I tend to reread his stuff, so it was nice to try something new by him. And and lastly, um, I actually because of the podcast read. John Fowles, the the Magus. Oh yeah, recommended I, by uh, our friend Vu Tran. And I, I loved it. It's <laughs> it's hard to discuss, you know, without giving it all away. Mm-hmm. So I won't do that. I, I just urge people to uh, to just pick it up and read the first twenty pages. I think he he has such a great style. It's uh, I mean, talking about the lack of pretension. I mean, he's very British, mm-hmm. but uh, completely unpretentious. Oh, yeah, I need to read that. Yeah, okay. So here are some things I'm thankful for. I've jotted down here. I'm thankful that literature I've found constantly renews itself. Uh, just when I think I run out of things to read for pleasure or enlightenment, some event happens like the recent election that we had uh, here in the States. And I think, man, I have got to read Julius Caesar again. Uh, (laughs) i was thinking the road (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i can lock in on it now in a whole new way and it's going to mean something different than what it would have meant to me just a couple of months ago so i think we're going to have an episode on that coming up soon um also the election has brought about my gratitude for and my commitment to uh diverse literature and a literature that celebrates multiculturalism and the inclusion and empathy and and different voices and different people and that's kind of my vision of america and what's great about america i picked up a book um madeline thien wrote about uh china and it's about musicians in china and i can't wait to read it we're actually lining her up to be a guest on the show in a future episode this book was uh a finalist for the national book award um, and looks fantastic, so I can't wait to read that. And that that's a good example of something I'm I'm planning to read that book and be thinking about politics here at home. And the other thing I wanted to 
to mention, this is my third point about this election, is I think I've mentioned before, some listeners know that I've got a holiday tradition of reading the Dubliner stories every year. So for Christmas, uh, every I read one Dubliner story a day, every day in the month of December before ending on Christmas Eve and reading The Dead. <laughs> and I was thinking... I've probably never been more looking forward to that tradition than this year. Um, it's going to be my sanctuary from the news. And I always feel like a better person for reading those stories. I, I'm more reflective and more alert and more uh, in touch with the people around me. And I, I just feel like it, they make me uh, deeper, a richer person. And by now, they're you know they're pretty much like old friends. And I'm looking forward to touching base with them again, just like I'd like... Uh, hearing from some actual old friends who maybe haven't been involved with this election season. And then most of all, uh, I'm thankful to you and the other guests that we've had on this podcast. And I'm thankful to the listeners, all those who comment and those who review and those who've subscribed and it's all wonderful. And just knowing that there are people out there looking for some conversation about literature I I set a few goals for myself when I started up the podcast, and one of them was uh, to get a million downloads. Uh, I was really not so much thinking about goals, but thinking about well, what what would be enough for me to stop? Like, <laughs> you know, is this is this something I'm undertaking that I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And I thought, well, I could stop at a million downloads. I'm not sure why I chose that number, but we're we're well on the way. We're actually a little bit ahead of schedule for where I thought we'd be at this point, or maybe a lot ahead of schedule. And I don't know what we're going to do when we hit a million downloads. If we'll just uh, if we'll keep going, or if we'll uh, clink our glasses of champagne and move on to other things. Maybe you and I should do that one uh, in person or something. Um, <laughs> but it it does feel amazing and incredible that we're on a pace to reach a million downloads if we keep going with this. And I, I never really thought that I'd be able to point to a million anything in my <laughs> life, uh, whether it's books sold or dollars in my bank account or anything like that. Uh, although I guess I could give a million thank yous because it's kind of how I feel for the the people who have supported this show and who have, let us know how much they've enjoyed it, and it's um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jack. That's going to do it for this episode of the History of Literature podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and other podcast apps, or you can find us at historyofliterature.com or facebook.com slash historyofliterature. My thanks to Mike Palindrome for joining me for this episode. He'll be back again soon. And my thanks to you as well. Enjoy this holiday season for those of you celebrating Thanksgiving. Think about what we have and how to protect our institutions that we hold dear, things like democracy and the rule of law, all the things that we should all cherish and not take for granted. And above all, be good to each other. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.